Ah, those dancers. Good morning. You're listening to HR Tech Weekly One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Stacey, how are you? I am good. I'm doing really well. I'm sitting in North Carolina trying not to freeze right now because it's, I think it's going to be around 28 degrees here, which is really cold for North Carolina, but it's even colder up north. But the sun is shining, so take what you yeah, get. 28 degrees is against the law in California. <laughs> it is, yes. It should be in North Carolina as well. That's what I thought, but <laughs> but I'll take it. It's not too often we get it. And, and you're home as well, right? I am. I am. I've had the, the, the travel starts soon. And it looks like this year is going to be relentless. But but I am wrapping up being home, wrapping up dealing with the uh, the plague that has taken so many people to bed for a week or so, and headed into the new ground. So what's up with you? Oh, just you know, we're I'm getting ready to do some some new strategy planning for for the research work that we're doing. Um, I have a, a new employee who will be getting started in uh, next week, and uh, all that fun stuff. So it's been a busy first part of the year, and we're we're heading into I think what's going to be an interesting HR technology season as well, because I think last year was a lot of preparing for what this year will be. So I think we're going to see a lot of interesting new things this year in the news on uh, HR tech, but I don't think we're probably see it until second quarter or third quarter when people start launching their uh, updates to their applications. How about you? Are you doing anything, get ready for anything interesting in your uh, travels coming up? You, you know, I'm doing a webinar next week on the new kinds of management techniques that are required in a world where there are tons of intelligent tools in HR, and I wrote, and it is based on an article I wrote last year about how to think about your new digital employees, and so, so I'm in the middle of sorting that out, and that's a that's, that's, that's been an interesting process to sort that out, and then I am, I'm becoming, you know, I haven't had a chance to tell you about that. I am now going to be, I believe, know in a day or so, a senior fellow at the company. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Um, yeah, I think I get a special hat or something. <laughs> a, a, a pointy hat and a chair to sit in the corner. But, uh, but I'm doing a thing with the conference board at Disneyland at the end of the month that is, man, I'm really looking forward to it because it's 40 really big company HR tech leaders and we're going to be talking about the edges of HR tech and intelligent tools. Oh. So so the year is getting off to a, a brisk start. February includes a large mega session at the Recruiting Trends and Talent Technology Conference. So it's just one big thing after another. And then, you want to say um, I think I am. The answer is yes. They've told me that I am, but I haven't gotten any final details for, for getting the travel and everything right. But yes, I think that I am um, I've had conversations with the, with the team over there, and they want to have some of the research data that we're going to be covering, and we're going to do an Asia-Pacific version of the HR tech data from the Sierra Cedar HR System Survey. So, yeah, I've, I've got that kind of in the in the background, working on sort of figuring out what that Singapore trip will look like and what kind of data we're going to share from an analysis perspective. I've also, you know, it's funny, you brought up IR when I hadn't really thought about it. You know, we, we talk so much about everything else, I forget sometimes about all the other things that we're doing. I was elected last month as vice chair for IRM's board. For anyone who doesn't know that what IRM is, they're a, an association, um, Information HR Management Association for HR technologists in the market. And 
turning the board around, and we are working on brand new updates to the certification that they offer and new education programs, which includes the things like what you're uh, uh, participating in that are more connected to the journal, the WSR, that they um, have supported for the last several years. So yeah, it's sort of exciting to sort of see how many of these things are starting to connect, right? You know, the conference board, IRAM, the events that we're doing, it, it seems like there they're, like, they're, feels like there's something big in the air this year. I just don't know what it's going to be. But I think there's a lot more focus on HR technology this year. And the things that are around the HR technology market are, are getting more attention in things a little bit. Well, one of the things that's big in the air is federal shutdown. And that's the sort of the lead story in our bucket of things. Tell me what's going on there. What's, what's happening yeah. with, with why, why do we care in HR? Yeah, you know, this is something where I think, every, you know, everybody's heart goes out to everybody who is missing their paycheck or who is working without a paycheck, um, especially, you know, if you're in an industry where you are taking care of, of someone else's livelihood or you are helping people out, making sure they're safe and sound. But even in the HR space, we are feeling some, some hit here. The federal shutdown has disabled the E-Verify program. Now, this is the E-Verify program. For, it's an online tool for employee work authorization, and basically using the E-Verify program is voluntary except for federal contractors. So if you have federal contractors, you have to make sure you use the E-Verify program for them, and, are, and it basically covers the data that their station of the I-9 form, as all of us know when we get hired, and the system checks Social Security, and it records that stuff for federal immigration databases. So it's, it's a pretty big tool, and I know a lot of the software and a lot of the partners in the software space are, are all about connecting to E-Verify, doing E-Verify so that you don't have to do so much paperwork. And so this shutdown has caused part of that to not work, which I thought was sort of interesting. They said, you know, if it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work, I guess there's a risk that someone may get missed in the background checking processes, but they're not going through the E-Verify because it's getting interrupted some of the processes that usually go through. They noted that nearly 800,000 employees Employers use the Verify program right now, uh, and about 13% of them, according to government data, um, are all employers. That's about 13% of all employers, according to government data. So that's a pretty big number when you, you know, 800,000 employers. That's huge here in the United States. Um, so yeah, this is I, this kind of begs the question, I think, for us as HR technologists. Any system that has some sort of a human component to it, like something like Verify, what happens when the entity that oversees that is is not working, right? We're going to find out. Um, I can imagine that you can get in trouble for screwing something up that's screwed up because the government was busy solving its political problems. Well, I would hope so, but I mean, this is the way I was looking at it. So, so okay, so the, the online system isn't working. That means you have to go back to doing a paper-based system. And if you're hiring like if you're doing big contracts, you may be hiring thousands of contractors on a daily basis, right? You know, large recruiting firms, large, you know, consulting firms are doing that on a regular basis. If you have to go back to doing something that generally is handled just electronically and you send it in on a paper-based format, how likely is it there's enough people in your organization who even know how to do it on a paper-based format, right? Well, and so I, I suppose the real question is a sort of how long do you wait before you get started. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we hold off hiring for a day or two because people really can't be brought on board without all the I-9 information put away. Right? I don't, that's not my background. That's, we'd probably have to ask uh, your partner, Heather, or some of the other 
your legal minds on this? Like, what kind of, you know, limitations or options do people have if they can't fill out this information and for how long can they wait? But yeah, that could be, that could be a huge amount of backlog for some organizations that are hiring you know, people on a daily basis in large numbers, right? So if you're, if you're a big company and you have this problem, what do you suppose you do? You call Deloitte? <laughs> well, that's, yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's the question, right? That the, I mean, the answer in this article, particularly article that was talking about it, was revert to the manual processes. And to revert to manual processes, you have to know how to do that and have all the paperwork and have the tools in place and have people who understand it. So I don't even know that it's calling a Deloitte. It's, it's calling someone who's more HR consulting qualified from a compliance perspective, right? Wow. Did we get to see a mess? It could really get to be a mess. And then there and and I think the bigger issue is that, you know, if, if background immigration checks aren't being done, there could be a lot of things slip through the, the cracks. So so yeah, it is this so, you know, although there are many places where the government shutdown is affecting, you know, everyone and everything, you know, it's even in these little places that you wouldn't think of and I and I think it brings a bigger question, which is, you know, what are our redundancies for technology that may not work if, you know, something goes down or something goes away, right? And, and I don't know that we've really thought a lot about that risk situation in a, in a lot of cases for most organizations. I'm sure that's right. I'm sure that's right. We're going we're gonna to enter into some interesting times because what you're, part of what you're saying is that what's being exposed is all of technology has become an ecosystem of data rather than standalone software inside of your shop, everything has got connections to external data on which it depends. Everything has APIs to systems that may be less reliable than the core system. And so exactly. understanding how to deal with that is what technology management looks like. Is that what you meant by you think this year is going to get interesting from an HR tech perspective? Well, I don't know that I particularly saw that a whole picture, but yeah, I mean, there was one, one, one thing that I didn't put in here, but an organization that got $100 million in, in investment this year is one that's focused on managing all your various cloud applications, understanding where they're at, what they're doing. We, we know multiple organizations are doing that. ServiceNow is doing that. We're even getting some Microsoft and Oracle tools that are doing that. But I think that's going to be the big conversation this year isn't so much what feature or function or application are you purchasing, but how are you managing them? Because if one piece goes down, it's connected to all the other pieces in some way then what does that do to your system? And if you don't have a risk assessment done on that, that could be real that could be real application for this is gonna be this is gonna be a really good year for showing how complicated things are. Yeah. I was looking, you know, you know, as as I prepare for the speaking parts of the year, I was looking at the sheer number and diversity of intelligent tools. And I stopped counting at about 60 different kinds of solutions, and you could conceivably want all 60, but they don't really go together, right? Nobody's got the money yeah. to make sure that all 60 talk to all 60. That's a, that's, that's a huge number of combinations of, of things, and, and those are 60 types that, ha that all have 5 to 20 vendors underneath each of the types. Right, so 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 it is a it is a tangle 
uh, of data. And yet, if you go with the um, suite providers, which is which is a solution that people are advocating, their ability to move into the new stuff is it, it's quite slow. It's quite slow. Now. It'd be it'd be interesting to see you know Workday or Ultimate or Oracle or SAP or IBM or one of the other big players introduce the kind of cloud management tool that you say just got funded so that yeah. that if I may say an, an, an ADP or Ceridian client, the, the ability for me to automatically go get the latest natural language processing filtering on my resumes going through is a couple of clicks uh, and an authorization. Be really interested to see that, but I, I'm not sure that those big companies have the budget to do this sort of integration, and the business models are unclear. Well, and and I think if the business models are unclear, and, and I think there's been some start in that with the marketplace, and I think that's why the word was such a big word for us in 2018. Everyone was talking about it, but I think that the, the big difference between just sort of putting a marketplace together and what you're talking about is the ongoing maintenance of that, right? I think that's the, the conversation is that get the newest natural language processing piece, make sure that it's new can be fit into customer connections, but then also understand the risk of where that data is going, what data is going into it, out of it, what happens if it gets turned off, if I want to replace it. It's, it's all the things that go around that that are even more difficult than just the API connection, right? Because it's, well, it's the maintenance. It's partly the maintenance, but it's also the volume. It's like all of a sudden, every one of these marketplaces has a bulk food section, and and you have to go with your bag and get the stuff and make sure to label it properly so they know what to charge you at the, at the checkout counter. And, and it's a lower packaging cost for the bulk food providers, but the grocery stores are used to having things with barcode stuff. Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting out. That's a very much uh, interesting sort of way of, of sort of positioning it. Of course, I don't shop at bulk food stores for that reason, but I get it completely. Yeah. Well, and well, and, and many thing, people right? make the choice not to shop bulk food, but if you're looking for competitive advantage and you're looking to keep your team at the state of the art, the vendors who are providing that stuff are providing little tiny solutions. Yeah. Well, it's it's definitely going to be a, a year to start watching. I think watching for the connection conversation, not just what people are doing. And it might be why we're also starting to see a lot more consolidations. I mean, one of the big news elements this week was Outmatch acquiring WePow, which they're basically video interviewing applications that are sort of connecting to each other. These are the recruiting applications. I think you know this space maybe a little bit better, but you know, I've been following sort of WePow for a while and Outmatch for a while, and I think this seems to be a, a nice fit for both of them to some extent. But I always wondered, what was someone like a WePow going to be? Because is video interviewing a standalone thing? I, that was always a big question for me. Do you think this is a, a what we're going to see is a lot more acquisitions of some of these very, very small guys and some of the bigger guys? Well, that's certainly what they're hoping. And there's there's some chance of that, but you, you know what happens when when people start buying little companies? It's like a hydra. You cut off one head and you get ten. So what looks like consolidation ends up being an explosion in innovation. Because if there's a market for video interviewing companies, 
then they're going to be more video interviewing companies. And I'm seeing that. I'm, I'm seeing at the same time as things are getting purchased, um, their, their competition is exploding because those people think they can get purchased. And so what ends up being the case is so much choice that it makes everybody neurotic. No, I, I should I should that. I should stop for a second and say Outmatch is led by Greg Moran, who is a, a an entrepreneur with a voracious appetite, and WePow is led by Emo Uten, who is one of the most authentic and sincere entrepreneurs I've ever met, and he has navigated this little tiny. Sh- Effectively through a bunch of pivots over the years, and it's a big deal that that they did this deal. It's really big deal. deal. I was quite glad to see this, and I I would agree. I mean, I think you know, like I said, normally I would not know the name of many of the you know individual know applications that deal with sort of interviewing and in one way or another, right? It's not as deep as I go in the interviewing and the recruiting space, but. WePal made a point of making sure their name was known. I mean, they, they did a good job of sort of saying, here's what we do, and this is the, and this is the focus that we're saying, right? Right. And, you know, getting picked up by Outmatch, you know, this, this seems to be like a natural, great next step for them, right? And so, and that is part of a, a lot of the conversations that we have with vendors, both you and I, and I think everyone else in the analyst room is, you know, what is the natural step for many of these organizations? Is it, is it grow bigger? Is it get purchased? Is it to get bought by one of the big guys and get you know, sort of sucked into it? There's, there's a lot of directions organizations can go. So. Benefit Ed helps your workforce get the most out of your employer match program. Employee choice, offered exclusively by Benefit Ed, enables employees to decide if they want their employer match contributions to be allocated to student loan repayment, retirement, or both. Increase plan participation and offer an innovative benefit without a drastic increase to overall benefit spend. Compete for the best and build your dream team. Learn more at ubenefited.com slash hrx. That's y-o-u-benefited.com slash hrx. We, we also saw another big uh, announcement this week. I mean, this is, this is pretty big money that we're seeing being put into different areas, but this one particularly, I think, caught my eye because of the fact that we're, we've had a lot of conversations about this last year. Earnin is a, a startup that's focused on that sort of pay-per-day option that people want to want to be able to do in the market. They raised $125 million for their payday advance platform without fees. Now, supposedly, and I, I, don't, I have not had a briefing with Earnin, so I do not know them, but their uh, sort of payday platform is one that doesn't charge the fees that oftentimes you get with other ones that have been out in the market. Now, I don't know how they're sort of working through their funding, and and I would assume it's sort of connected to the businesses that acquire them and connect them with their pay uh, role applications. But I thought, well, this is really interesting to get $125 million put into this space. We've had a lot of conversations about it. And this is sort of a mixture between sort of the payday loans and the pay-as-you-go conversation somewhere in the middle here. Do you, I mean, this year might be the year we see a lot more of these really take, you know, fruition. Are, are you con- seeing concerns from the artificial intelligence and the data analysis side on, on 
people having access to their funds on that quickly of a basis, on a regular basis? I don't know. I, I will tell you that the idea of new technology enables payroll advances makes me quite nervous. And $125 million is a drop in the bucket for the advances that people need. So mm, I guess they're spending it on marketing and software development. But it's not at all clear to me that you help people by giving them advances on their paycheck. Seems to me that that's kind of the the doorway to financial hell. And I suppose you could say that it's the doorway to financial hell, but if you're going to hell, it's nice to know where the door is, you know? And, and if you're a TSA employee right now, it might be good to be able to get a no-fee payday advance. Yeah. Uh, but, you, you know, crawling out, crawling out of that kind of financial hole where you're, where you're now spending next week's pay is really challenging to get out of that once you fall. It is without that, particularly when there's higher interest rates or, or other things attached to it. And I think that some of the things that these these systems are saying that they are combating, the question is, is will it make it too easy then to go in this direction as well? And I don't know the answer to that. I mean I, I you know I come from a from a family that, you know, has dealt with situations like this. I have a lot of family members who are working on a paycheck to paycheck basis and, and it's a difficult, you know, road to travel for people when they have to make that decision between, you know, food for one week or medication, right? And, you know, the system here says that they are going to be putting some limits. They're, they limit, um, most users can withdraw up to $100 for each pay period, so that can rise to $500 once workers build sufficient trust over time. So it starts out with this idea of trust and, and, and sort of payback model. But I do think, I think the bigger question oftentimes comes in if this is capable, then what are the other systems around it doing? In other words, do prices rise or do other organizations, are they less flexible in giving you time to pay things if they know that this is an option? So you have to look at the whole entire ecosystem when you're looking at something like this. Uh, what will it have an impact? Because there is a whole business model and a whole environment built around the fact that people only get paid every two weeks, right? And that's how you make decisions about when you know, bills have to get paid, and that's how you know interest rates are set. There's a lot of other things that go around that that you know could have an impact because of this capability coming out in the market. Right? Yeah, it's. I, I wonder. I guess this tells me the fact that this is successful tells me that the working class people in the United States are having a harder time than I thought. I saw. I saw a stat. You know. How far you can go without a paycheck is a topic of great conversation right now because of the shutdown. And I saw something the other day that said 78% of the American population lives paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. I you know, so I it's, easy, it. it's easy to fall into the pit if you get sick or somebody dies and you got to take a week to take care of that and you're not getting paid for that. It's easy to fall into a hole. And these these sorts of companies can help with that, they've, they've most often been praying. And so the, the question of how you make sure that a company like this doesn't get predatory is, is part of the question. And, and the question is, is that regulations? Is that sort of industry standards? Is that an ethics, you know, discussion that happens in our industry, and, and I think there's a lot of perspectives on what that needs to be, but you 
yeah, there's definitely guardrails would be helpful in something like this. There's, there's no doubt about that. We're also seeing investments, though, in continuing to be put in place in, in more than just sort of the, the basic areas that we were talking about, recruiting and payroll, those type of things, but in this messaging communications world. So Crew, which is a workplace and Slack messaging rival, they raised $35 million to add to their what they call enterprise version. Crew is a chat app that specifically targets businesses that employ shift workers who do not typically sit at computers all day. And this is Series C funding for them. And basically, you know, the funding comes, you know, on the heels of the company hitting 25,000 organizations using its service. Now, I don't know if that's 25,000 paid organizations or not. That's always a big question when you're looking at someone this small. But they do mention names like Domino's and uh, Burger King. But, you know, the focus here is that communications, again, it's, it's a connection tool. And this is continuing to fall into the HR space as far as the conversation goes. I think that's the other thing we're going to hear a lot about this year is the role of HR in communication. What, you know, are those tools part of communications? Are they part of enterprise applications? Do we as HR need to manage and monitor them? What do you do with all the data that comes out of them? But yeah, they're getting a lot more investing than we saw in the last couple of years here. I, I expect to see some really smart things emerge here. Crew focuses on hourly employees. I was talking last week on the on the HR executive conversations with Michael Carton, who is the CEO of something called Joyous. And Joyous is a broad internal communications ecosystem for companies that management navigates by the use of NLP to make sense out of what's going on in communication. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see Slack and workplace competitors, sort of the second generation of that stuff, is coming to market this year. That'll be, that'll be the big news, I think. And that'll be interesting to see when, you know, the, the, just the basics of just getting communications that you traditionally would do naturally compared with those maybe that might be a little bit more focused on sort of artificial intelligence or motivational, you know, talk. That, I think, that could be a big difference. I mean, one of the things that, that I also looked at this week was there was a very large article in the, I think in the, in the New York News, it was one of them, that they were talking about Humu, which is Laszlo Vox, Google previous Google HR leader, his new application. And I thought originally when we were talking about Humu and we had you talked about it and they were, he was launching this, that it was going to be a services-based organization, but it seems like it's much more of a application-based organization. And they're talking about the new application and it's focusing on giving nudges for motivation, basically nudging employees on things they should be doing a little bit better. Now, I haven't seen the application. Have you seen this? Yes, uh, there's a new tool that they're running out. I, I, I keep wanting to call it Humus. I know. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if Humus is right either, but. <laughs> well, that's H-U-M-U. It's just basically us. <laughs> so, and a little bit so, of garlic. So, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah so, so the theory here is that the system can get smart enough to remind you to do important things. Yeah. And I don't know how you do that. Right, I have been as as the new year starts. I've been trying to remember important things to do. <laughs> I don't, I don't have a way of organizing that, and and the system would have to know something for me to uh, benefit from its nudges. So, yeah. but but I like the idea of a nudge engine. It sounds sort of cuddly. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit better than a 
pointy spear engine, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. This is this is not a stick engine. This is a carrot yeah. engine. Exactly. <laughs> so, I, you know, the question will be is, is how much will communication tools be just sort of the standard to get information out there? Or will we, with artificial intelligence and with things like this type of algorithm, will they become much more of this kind of conversation, a nudge tool, tools that, that motivate or, or in some cases maybe manipulate or, or whatever the, the approach is, get people to do things that the business feels will be in their benefit and then hopefully in the employees' benefit. And that's, I think, the, the direction we're going to have to watch what's happening in the communication space. So let me ask you the closing question. Right? This is... This is what, what we've been talking about are intelligent tools that help us manipulate employees better. Do you think we should call the category sociopath in a box? <laughs> well, I think there, there may be some room for that um, for some organizations who cross that line. <laughs> and I'll just say HR shouldn't cross the creepy line. That's what we have to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the creepy term. line keeps moving. That that'll be the other big theme this year is where's the creepy line? Where's the creepy line? Yeah, exactly. We'll have to watch that. We'll have to figure out when we this nut feels a little bit like it's crossing the creepy line to me, but I haven't seen it yet, so I can't honestly say that. So I think once I get a chance to maybe review it a little bit and see its algorithms and how it's working, maybe I'll have a different perspective on that. It feels like it's getting right there to the edge of that. <laughs> so. Well, what a great conversation. Welcome back. Yep. Everybody, it is now officially 2019, and you have been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey and John Sumter. As always, thanks for doing this, Stacey. This is this is a punctuation in everything. Yeah, always a fun time. Thanks, everyone, for, for joining us as well. Okay, so we will see you back here same time next week. Here are those Irish people again. Bye-bye now. Yeah.